Hey, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. Today, I'm talking to author Will Kostakis about his new book, The Sidekicks, and about what happens when a close friend dies. Will is also Australian, and we talk about the Australian postal vote for same-sex marriage. And then I know that the rest of the world pays attention to the United States and what our current administration is doing, but I was just kind of struck in talking to Will by how closely they pay attention and to the level of detail, to be quite honest. So all that's coming up. As always, if you like our show, please subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes. Leaving a comment on iTunes is such a big help for us. And if you do, please tweet at me and let me know. I would love to say thank you. I tweet from at JeffMasters1. And then don't forget that our old home at AfterBuzz TV is the number one place for TV after shows. So check them out to see what they're saying about all of your favorite TV shows. That's AfterBuzz TV. All right, without further ado, here's Will. So the main characters on the book, they are in their early teens and they lose their best friend. It is loosely based on your life. How old were you? Uh, so it was between uh, 10th and 11th grades. So he passed away quite suddenly uh, during the summer break. And so I was one of those people who believed in having one solid best friend to the exclusion of all others. So, you know, we would do everything together. We would go everywhere together, things like that. And not only did we have this really tight shared history, but we'd imagined, you know, our shared future. I was going to be a world famous author and he was either going to be my agent or my biggest groupie. And we were going to tour the world until eventually, you know, we ended up in the same retirement village trading the same really horrible jokes that we made in high school. And then between uh, the 10th and 11th grades, he passed away. And not only did I lose that shared future that we'd imagined for each other, but I lost our past because that was, he was the only one I ever shared it with. You know, do you remember MSN Messenger? Yes. Yeah. So I saved our last MSN Messenger conversation. And you know how like in films, there's always that foreshadowing where you get to get everything off your chest and it's, there's a nice little bow before the unexpected death. But our last conversation was, hey, hey, sup, what's up? Nothing much. You? Nah, nothing. All right, I've got to go. And that was it. And so I didn't want that to be my last conversation with anyone ever again. And so it really informed the way that I relate to people. And it also made me less of a bitch (laughs) because um, I don't let sort of, let's say conflicts simmer too long. Like we'll get it out of our system. And I find that I apologize a lot sooner than I would have otherwise, because you never know whether you'll have that chance to. And that, that sounds very healthy. Sure. <laughs> you don't, you don't I just, think so? I, no, I just love it. Like, you know, I, I wasn't less of a bitch. I just apologized fast. <laughs> How often now do you think about him still? A lot. But the thing is, he, it, he does, he has started to fade in my mind. And that was the big reason why I wrote the book was I visited his house to visit his mum, and I saw his photo on the fridge and I realized, oh shit, I'd forgotten what he looked like. And he had started to fade and I'd started to think about him a lot less. And so I had to really go back, mine my really like so bad, it's great teenage poetry. It's really remarkable how someone can almost be like the metaphor I would have used was he was the sun and we were the planets that orbited him. And, you know, then the sun disappeared and all the planets started clashing and like there was no gravity. Um, So... 
yeah, it was, it's really funny how someone can be that centric and then slowly over time, you just sort of deal with them not being there anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I just can't imagine how it would affect you at that age and yeah. the, your, the entirety of your life. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing that you held up your end of the bargain, mm. though you did become a writer. He will love this, is that I became an author because of him. But, you know, the flip side to that is I achieved my dream, but I achieved it without the one person I wanted to share it with. Like, if I could, I could take that experience and I would roll it into a ball and I would toss it back just to have him back here. Did he ever know you were gay? No, and that's the real tragic thing is that he didn't come out to me and I didn't come out to him. And oh, you so, think he's gay? Oh, he was. Oh, he was. He was same-sex attracted, yeah. <laughs> Whether he dabbled with, you know, a whole spectrum of sexualities, I don't know. But um, yeah, so that was something I found out after he passed. And I thought, what a waste of the short time we had together just sitting there being afraid of the other person. And that was something that I wanted to make sure that I wrote about. Did, did you get any good advice at dealing with grief that you can dispose of now? It's just hard to counsel a 15 year old or 16 year old like going through you that. Have to, you have to feel it and you need to grieve in different ways. Like some people just sort of bottle up. Some people cry. Some people are melodramatic. Like, um, I don't know. You just have to ride through it for me. I think writing really, really helped me because, and I can see that sort of progression through my grief, through the poems and the short stories that I wrote at the time. And I can see myself pulling myself out of that sort of depression. But um, at the same time, you've just got to listen to the people around you. And it really, the grief really forced me to grow up quite quickly. I remember it was about two weeks later and mum wanted me to clean my room. You know, good Greek mum. She's like, William, clean your room. And I just typical you know grieving boy reply mom you don't know what i'm going through and i'm crying and she just deadpans me and she's like yes william my brother died when i was your age i have no idea what you're going through and she walks away and for the first time i saw my mom not as this woman who paid the bills or who you know cooked our food and did the laundry i saw her as a fully fleshed human who had these real life experiences and that really changed the way that I looked at her. And so any advice that I'd give to someone, you know, who is grieving, I would firstly let them know that it passes, which is a horrible thought because you don't want it to pass. You don't want to forget them. You don't want to forget that pain because that pain reminds you how much you meant to them. But at the same time, you have to let it go so that you can move on and just look to the people in your life and talk to them as honestly and openly as you can. And you can, you can take, you know, that negative experience and you can turn it into something positive. Yeah. How soon after did you have another friend that you were that close with again? Um, that's the thing. I don't think I have invested so much in one person since whether that was to protect me or just because the nature of friendship changes because, you know, Ben and I cultivated a friendship from the sixth grade. And that is when you invest hard. Like when you get to like university, it's like, okay, whoever's free, whoever wants to come down, whoever wants to have a beer, like that's how you sort of build your friendships. And then when you go into the workplaces and you're trying to navigate people's schedules, things like that. So I wouldn't say I've replicated that relationship with someone else. 
I had to build myself up to open up to Ben and talk to him openly. And the thing is, I'm just like, look, you know, you get to know me 10 minutes later, I am making the rudest jokes you ever heard. And, you know, I basically press fast forward. So even if I only know you two hours or three hours, you see the person that Ben would have seen probably more open now. Cause at least I tell you who I am and you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, while I don't have that relationship, I feel like I hit fast forward and try to replicate that rapport with people, whether I have it or it's just performative. I don't know, but I try. I think we're all trying to figure that out too. I find it so compelling that young queer kids find each other even before they're out. Oh, it's ridiculous. Our group at school now, it's gotten to the point where it was, if it was a group of six, four of us. And I'm just like, oh, really? So I'm looking at the other two like, guys, when's it going to (laughs) happen? So I would think that having other close friends who are uh, queer, Mm -hmm. that it would be a safe place to come out. Mm -hmm. And yet you only came out fairly recently. Yeah, fairly recently. Um... I don't know. It's that, and I wanted to really deal with that in the sidekicks. Cause I asked myself, okay, I'm in my mid twenties. Why haven't I come out to most people? Like I'd slowly come out over time. Like my, one of my close friends moved away. He moved out of the country. So I'm like, sweet, you're here for one night before you leave. I'm going to tell you just to like, <laughs> so if it doesn't work, you're in another country. No one cares. It's like a trial run. Yeah, exactly. And um, in terms of coming out to my mom, she was like, "Will, I need to just ask you, okay, no more surprises. You know, do you, do you like men? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And she's like, oh. And so she deflates, she takes a breath. She's like, just give me a sec. Deep breath, another one, another one. And then she's like, oh, always thought your father was a bit of a poof. And I'm like, and of course, of course that's how my mum would react. Like, you know, when you build up that worst expectation about how someone will take the news. But of course my mum will be totally okay with it and make a dig at my deadbeat dad. Like, of course that is how she would react to it. Look, I always had this voice in the back of my head that said, look, your career is not going to take off until you come out. My career is selling honesty. It's selling honest reflections on who you are, who I am, how I see the world. It's just been a slow process of me taking down that wall and hopefully it's all down. (laughs) You know, I want to ask what it's like to be gay in Australia mm-hmm. while also recognizing that you were one man talking about one experience. Um, and but not, I am the universal experience. Yeah, like, and not a, a continent, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't... I am the one gay man, like... We have him here, the gay. <laughs> Look, I've been... I'm the only gay on the island. Um, and that's that's why they've got that postal vote at the moment because I told my representatives that I want to get married. and It yeah. worked. <laughs> well, it hasn't worked yet. We're still waiting. That's true. So have you, do you know, understand sort of our legislative process and how this has all come about? Um, the, the things that I know about it fascinate me because, mm-hmm. um, tell me if I'm wrong, I, mm-hmm. I, what I, my understanding is that there's a legislative vote to mm-hmm. see if you want to tell your representatives mm-hmm. if they might want to consider it, yep. but they're under no obligation. Yeah, it's not even, it's... They had to, they can't even call it a vote anymore. It's a survey. It's a postal survey. So what happened was in 2004, they realized our marriage act, um, which is just a piece of legislation that they can pass in the equivalent of our Congress. They don't need our opinion. So in 2004, they actually changed it because they realized, oh, this is a bit vague. This could let the gays get married. So they changed it to define marriage as between a man and a woman. 
But they didn't just leave it there. Like the act that really twisted the knife was that for your marriage to be valid in Australia, the celebrant or the priest has to actually say the words, marriage is between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. If that is not said, your marriage is not valid. So now you've got this thing where you go to an Australian wedding and there's usually a caveat at the beginning where the celebrant says there will be something stated during the ceremony that the bride and groom would like you all to know that they do not agree with. And so you hear every gay guy in the audience go, ooh, like there's, it's just ridiculous and they have to say it. And so that was basically, if you wanted to piss off like gay people, it's death by a thousand cuts. Because it's gotten to the point now that was 2004. So this is about about 10 years later. So about 2014, we were starting to see the tide turning. We had, you know, a left-leaning government in power. But first we had Kevin Rudd, who was super religious and respected marriage. Then we had a female atheist who still respected the moral teachings of the Bible. And then her story changed to be like, well, look, I'm a feminist. I don't believe in marriage at all, which a bit better, but also still you're denying other people that equal right so that you can make your point about feminism, which doesn't really sound that inclusionary. But okay. yeah, I, uh, I, I don't want to come from the perspective of the perfect country because yeah. we all know what's going on in oh, mind. Really? But no. uh, by the way, this is, this is breaking news. But, you know, Australia is part of the Western yeah. world. And my assumption it's- was like, that it was more or less okay. When, when, where has our conservatism come from? It came from the the colonizers. It came from the British and they've passed gay gay marriage. So why on earth have we not? So everyone's sort of been stalling and it's gotten to the point now where there's a conservative government in power, but the voices in Australia calling for marriage equality have become so loud that they can't talk about anything else without gay marriage being a central issue. It's hilarious to watch, but it's also really frustrating because there are some people in um, the Conservative Party who are like, look, we're not doing it. And this, they had this idea of a plebiscite, which was like a referendum. So we're just going to take everyone's opinion and then we will um, sort of come to the decision. But the thing is that legislation didn't pass the Senate. So what happened? The government appropriated funds from our emergency relief fund, 122 million, and gave it to our Census Bureau, who are now running basically a census on should gay people marry. So it's just a postal survey. And the thing is, nobody is under any obligation. If the yes vote passes, there's no obligation for them to pass legislation but if the no vote passes then that's it it is set in stone two and a half months of basically every horrible prop 8 ad has been rejigged for australia wait prop 8 from uh, from Mm -hmm. california Mm -hmm. really your if they've put your ads side by side with ours and they've just the no campaign has copy pasted them the really anti-gay marriage and there's this really wonderful one there's this canadian um father and he's He's sitting there going, oh, well, you know, after gay marriage was passed in Canada, they teach radical gay sex in schools. And it's like, they don't. Will it happen in our lifetimes? Probably because the generations beneath us are 
if we're radical, then they are out of control. Like, it's amazing. Like, they they give zero fucks about anything. Like, I was speaking at a school. It was a Catholic school, so I was asked to sign a waiver that says nothing I would say uh, would not be in keeping with the teachings of the Catholic Church. I was teaching 200 girls, a creative writing workshop. And the teacher was like, let's do a Q&A. And I'm like, oh, let's not. I'm national news. I don't want to do a Q&A. And so we did a Q&A and this girl put up her hand. She's like, oh, we found your blog. I'm like, oh, shit. And so I tried to take the next question. She's like, no, no, no. I just wanted to let you know, we really, really loved your blog. And you see like a circle of about 40 girls around her smiling and nodding. And that was their way of telling me that they knew and they were totally cool with it. Which was like, that's smart. Like these girls are going to take over the world. So, you know, obviously I wouldn't like to wait, but I have a lot of faith in the coming generations because they don't give a shit. Like that intolerance that, you know, they've tried to teach previous generations that has worked with previous generations does not work now that there are gay people in the world and you can talk to them and realize they're not perverts. They're not deviants. They're not murderers. They are real people. And I think my favorite quote, my favorite stat mm-hmm. is from Glad, which is that uh, for millennials, 20% identify as LGBTQ. Yeah. So this new generation you're talking about is very, very queer. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's exciting. Oh, yeah. Earlier, you told me that you went out last night. We're in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Did going out here into like gay bars feel mm-hmm. any different than going out in Australia? Look, we are predictable <laughs> so it was very much what i expected we, we we meaning australians or we meaning gay people we meaning gay people okay so look it was great it was inclusive i loved it alcohol is cheaper here which is dangerous um but i had an absolute blast and so many friendly people like yeah it's i look i had a friend showing me around so i was only taken to the best places of course <laughs> yeah well and and America, mm-hmm. we learned that you mentioned colonization, that mm-hmm. uh, Australia was colonized by criminals sent from Europe. Mm-hmm. Is that actually true? Yeah. Really? The majority of people? Well, like, that was the I mean, first not, fleet. Not yesterday, was, I know. That was the first fleet. So, to start off with, we had criminals, and then you had free settlers come over as well. And I just wonder, is that part of the, like, national identity? Like, the fact that we came from criminals? <sighs> Not really. It's it's part of the, the identity that others put on us. I yes. Think. And that's what I'm coming so, from, I guess, yeah, yeah. because unfortunately it's one of the f- like five things we can name about yeah. Australia. Well, look, we were... And that's our, un- unfair. Our big shame was that until about 1970, we had a white Australia policy where we didn't allow migrants unless they were super white. Then uh, it became... Then they allowed sort of... Uh, Asians to come in and uh, we became more open and I think at the moment we are defined by our multiculturalism and yes we have some people who are you know the descendants of convicts but we also have families like mine that came after World War II. We we mentioned uh, US government earlier what Mm -hmm. is the conversation about what's going on in America like outside of America? Um, We're very afraid like I was in the gym this morning and it's just casually like the cry on, on CNN is like, oh, North Korea is saying, yes, nuclear war is imminent. And I'm just like, really? We're at this point? Like, and you still have people who are like, oh, Hillary's emails. Just shut up. Like you cannot see where we're at at the moment and think 
Yeah, they were the same. I mean, I can't even believe that you guys know about her emails, to be honest. Yeah, Australians, we had your presidential debates broadcast live to Australia. We were all watching them. We'd like... Oh, we'd that lose, makes me sick because they were lose, not nice. We'd, we'd lose three hours in the middle of the day. But we were watching going, this isn't even a competition. And we were mortified that it was even presented as a close race and that you'd have commentators afterwards going, oh, well, he was quite presidential tonight. Oh, he didn't mention his hand size today. Come on. I'm, I'm just kind of shocked at how uh, much details you know about it all. Oh, it was it was and how horrifying. close you were paying attention. It was mortifying but the really horrifying thing is the conservatives here will say something horrible about yes sport needs to be free of politics something like that two days later politicians in australia will say something similar so your brand of divisive like rhetoric that doesn't even hold water right it just doesn't work but you see it be exported quite quickly like trump said fake news oh um our sort of moderate conservative leader in australia is suddenly saying things like oh that 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 article's fake so they're paying attention and learning oh yeah oh yeah oh and i assume that that's probably happening all around the world yeah every time he breaks down a norm he doesn't just break it down in the u.s Wow, that is um, it's so uh, chilling to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I have you, I have mm-hmm. another question about the book. I want yeah. to go back to that a second. Sure. Um, there's nowhere on the front or back cover that mm-hmm. says anything about uh, a gay character, mm-hmm. which there isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is the industry standard mm-hmm. in order to sell more books, but it also kills me because mm-hmm. I wonder about what, what age range is this for? Uh, so we have pitched it about 13 plus. Okay. So I wonder like where the 13 year old is going through the library and they skip mm-hmm. over it. So... For me, I actually wanted the gay character to be a surprise. The way that it's written, it's sort of you go into each of the protagonists. So the novel is split into three distinct voices and you get like a novella in each of their sort of heads. And with the first character, you establish this is who he is. Oh, surprise, he's gay. Um, And then each of the other characters surprise you as well. So his sexuality was going to be his surprise. But in terms of the sidekicks and it not mentioning there's a gay character... I don't say that the other two are straight. So, hell yeah, my next book is going to be the gayest thing ever. And I will probably put that on the cover. Um, Because that's the thing, though. I've gone from being Greek Australian author Will Kostakis to being gay Australian author Will Kostakis. So, it's already, it's now, it's my brand. Yeah, and it's not a complaint against you. It's just, I... I didn't read gay characters until I sought them out for myself, mm-hmm. which was in college. Yeah. And, um, and then when I did that, they, the three things I can name all dealt with AIDS. You know, we need to get, uh, I wanted to get beyond that in terms of characters. Yeah. And I just, it, this is for a young age range. Yeah. And I, um, if a librarian isn't recommending it or they're not searching out themselves, like mm-hmm. I, I hate that they can't find it. The wonderful thing is that there are so many sort of places they can go online and it just takes a Google search and they can find it. So I try to be as gay as possible online um, to a fault. This book is not particularly um, gay. Like 
my experience in Australia was that I had certain schools who hadn't read it saying it was too gay. Then I had gay people who read it telling me it's not gay enough. And I'm like, I know it's a book about grief. Um, so I also thought it was an interesting choice um, in a great way that you actually skipped over the coming out scene. Like mm-hmm. the, the bedroom door closes yeah. and we're told what happens on the reaction. But yeah. we've seen that so many times yeah. on movies and TV shows. Like I didn't actually need to hear yeah. another character saying that. Yeah, for me, he, he comes out at the end of his section to someone else and then I take the piss out of it. So I'm like, what is the best way that I could undermine his real triumphant coming out moment? I won't spoil it, but I, I like it. And then because it adopts someone else's perspective it's him coming to terms with like I have a lot of respect for my friends and the way that they handled my coming out and the way that they didn't let it reshape the way that they looked at me and I wanted to write about that and I'm very wary of writing a straight voice who learns something from a gay character because that shit tires me but at the same time there is a story that look like it or not our straight friends do learn from the gay people around them. And that's our show. Don't forget to subscribe, rank us five stars, and have a comment on iTunes. Specifically, leaving a comment is such a big, big, big help for us. So big thanks for that. If you want to recommend a guest, tweeting at me is the easiest way. I tweet from at JeffMasters1. You can also sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all new episodes and live shows. You can sign up for that at lgbtqpodcast.com. Special thanks to our old home at AfterBuzz TV, to the Elon University in Los Angeles studio, and to all of you about to go leave nice comments on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Bye.